Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Happy Resurrection Week. We are so thankful that uh, we are remembering the reason for the season, and it's not just today or Sunday. It's not just one week, but it's all year long. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and have placed your faith and trust in Him, we can say, hey, in season and out of season. Uh, preach the good news, preach the gospel. So it's very excited today to have another first-time guest with a powerful testimony and so much going on in her busy life. But let's open in prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us another day. Uh, we know that we are here because you have a purpose and a plan for our lives, and we thank you so much that you began a good work in each of us, and you are faithful to complete that work. And we ask that you would be glorified in our lives, what we do, what we say. Help us to back up our speech with actions and help us to balance that out, faith and works, and be true witnesses and examples of Jesus. Uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for this season, not only because of Easter and Resurrection Week. We get to talk to people about the hope that we have. Thank you so much for that. But also in this season of the coronavirus and the things that are going on in our governments and just in our daily lives that have been flipped upside down, we know that more people are fearful, more people are looking for answers. Well, use us, God, even today, even this hour, use us to point people to the truth and just talk reason and talk about things from a biblical perspective. And, uh, Lord, we ask that people will be encouraged today and informed. Uh, we love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Excited today to tell you about our new, our, actually not our new guest, our first-time guest today, Kathy Barnett, is an author, conservative political commentator, a veteran, a former adjunct professor of corporate finance, a conference speaker, and she's actually running for United States Congress in Pennsylvania. Her mother was raped at 11 years old, but in the midst of horrific circumstances, decided to give birth to a beautiful baby girl, Kathy Barnett has sat on the board of a pregnancy crisis center for five years, but perhaps her most cherished opportunity to date, besides being a wife, is the ability to homeschool her two children. Her book is called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America, and she explains why liberal policies have failed the black community time and time again. Kathy Barnett, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so blessed to have you on today. I have so many questions, so let's get right to it. Before we get into your testimony, every, every topic seems to somehow get back to what we're dealing with in America due to COVID-19, due to different state orders, uh, federal recommendations, and then state governors are making orders. And, and the, there's so many things going on where some people feel that our their freedoms are being threatened. Others say, hey, we have to do this because it's a very scary and contagious virus. You posted something on your Facebook page, uh, Kathy Barnett for Congress. Uh, we, you say we are now at 1,359 positive COVID-19 cases in Montgomery County. That's 0.17% of the population. This was two days ago. And you say we need to open back up. This is the first time in the history of our nation we have quarantined healthy people. I'd just love for you to share your perspective on that before we uh, dig deep into your story. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 very it's very strange. Um, if I can find the nicest way to phrase this, <laughs> you don't have it's to. It's <laughs> very strange what we see going on because. You know, initially, you know, several weeks ago, at the beginning of the nation becoming, being made aware of COVID-19, that there was this insidious virus that was, you know, uh, spanning not just our nation, but across continents. Uh, at that time, it was squarely 
in Italy, and we were hearing one horror story after another of just how, you know, uh, insidious and, and contagious this virus was. And then before we knew it, it was here in our country. And I think several weeks ago when this, you know, when COVID-19 first came here, or at least we became aware of it anyway, because I think it was, it was here much sooner than we realized it. I think the I think what the president has done just overall from beginning to end has been amazing. I'm so very grateful that at such a time as this, we have President Donald Trump leading the nation through mm-hmm. this very difficult, very challenging time um, as they've coined it a war. And so I'm very, very grateful for the things that he did. And I'm very and I agree wholeheartedly that initially, because we did not know much about COVID-19, I agree that we should have self-contained. And I believe overwhelmingly most Americans did the patriotic thing and we voluntarily contained ourselves Mm -hmm. with our family unit. Um, And I'm very grateful for that. But now as we begin to move on into basically our second month, I'm hearing reports um, coming off of uh, CNN how we should, you know, continue to uh, self-contain or quarantine ourselves uh, for up to 18 months. I'm hearing people saying things like, you know, until June or until May. And, um, And now we're learning more and more and more. When this first came out several months ago, CDC said up to 2 million Americans were going to die. Then they revised it down to 1.2 million. Uh, Just last week, we were told 240,000 Americans were going to die. Last night, the number has been revised down again to mm, 64 to 66,000, right? So this number continues to change. It continues to not be as deadly as we once thought it was going to be, especially when the CDC was saying, you know, 2 million people potentially uh, was going to die. Now we're looking at, okay, maybe something in the range of 64,000 to 66,000, which is still a tragedy for those families. And my heart goes out to those families, right? One family lost to this is one too many. Um, And yet, it is not what we thought it was. Now we understand more about how this virus is uh, contracted, much like many other viruses, right, through hand contact with the face, through droplets. It's, it's a very heavy virus, so it's not airborne in the sense that, you know, it could just, you could just walk into it, you know, uh, hours after someone else was already there but that it tends to fall very quickly. So we understand this. Mm -hmm. And yet we have, uh, just last night, we still have governors saying they're going to, you know, maintain this lockdown indefinitely Um, and, you know, in in some places. And I think it should give us great pause Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, for the first time we are locking up healthy people along with those who, you know, may have – who may be more susceptible to succumbing to this virus. And I think we should, should, should give great pause. It should not be something that is just whim, just without much consideration taken because that's our freedom. And freedom in this country is a very valuable concept. Uh, I, I'm a, I, was a vet, I am a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I travel to many parts of the world, and I recognize that freedom is not uh, – Freedom is not something that everyone gets the benefit of enjoying when you begin to look outside of the United States. It's a very valuable commodity, Mm -hmm. and we need to hold it in in much higher regard. And when we have people without much evidence start to say, we need to keep this nation shut down for up to 18 months or up to May, up to June. We're locked down indefinitely, although the numbers are not coming in the way they first thought they would. Mm -hmm. We should just give great pause to that. Yes. And the models obviously are only as good as the information, the input that is entered into those models by human beings, scientists, or people that are trying to figure this out. You mentioned the numbers that it could be now. They're estimating the potential number of deaths in America. And that pretty much is what the numbers we have from the basic common flu every year. And yet we are locked down in America in a way that has never 
happened before. Everything from from churches and sports and schools and stores and businesses and everything. This is an astounding time we're living in. And, uh, and they're doing it with such district. Some are doing it just so whimsically. Some, yes. Just, you know, with just a stroke of a pen. Nope, churches can't meet. Nope, you can't congregate. Nope, you can't do this. Nope, you got to stay in your home, right? Um, and, 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 and it's not in light of facts. Now, I was looking at CDC last night, the number of deaths, according to CDC. CDC is, is again, um, expecting, you know, I spent time in the, in the Wall Street environment, and we had a saying when we were modeling, you know, what the um, profitability of companies were going to be. And we had a saying, garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage into your models, you're going to get garbage out of your model. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the reason why we came from $2 million now down now CDC is saying by August, roughly 60,000 people will succumb to COVID-19. But then I was looking at some of the other deaths on the, that, that the CDC tracks. Drug overdose, 67,000. Wow. Suicide, 50,000. Alcohol abuse, 88,000. Diabetes, 83,000. Cancer, 606,000. This is a year? And, Annual? And yet we're not, and and so and, and so we recognize that death happens, mm, right? Yes. Um, I mean, it's it's. I think I think it is apropos that we're contending. You know, one of the peaks is a two-week peak this week and next week, and the beginning of that peak is occurring right now during one of the most holiest week, and mm. uh, across multiple religions uh, this week. Um, that that is happening. Death happens, and it's and it's so unfortunate. And again, my heart goes out to every single person who is contending with this uh, beast of a virus. Yes. And yet, to see that we are, it's this universal measure, both for highly vulnerable people and those who have a low vulnerability to this virus. We're all being lumped into one bucket. Mm -hmm. uh, this virus will affect maybe 2% of our population, leaving 98% of us um, we, if we come in contact with this virus, it would be something we will have to contend with, but the odds of us um, succumbing to it is low. This is not my opinion. This is what Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, and others have been talking about for some time. And it's just this blanket, one-shoe-fits-all kind of mode, mm. and we need to be very careful here because I remember not too long ago when we were, um, when, when, when the House um, in Congress were debating phase three of the stimulus discussion, uh, Majority Whip James Clyburn said, and I quote, this, he was referring to COVID-19, this is a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. And so yes. I think we have to be very mindful. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I haven't forgotten Bill Maher, the late night, I guess he's a comedian, saying uh, a couple of years ago when Donald Trump took office, saying, let's pray for a recession. Um, you know, I mean, and I, and, and I haven't forgotten how Democrats yeah. have been very resistant to anything. Just last year, all the media outlets were talking about an impending um, uh, economic depression. Um, and and now they may be getting what it is that they've been wishing for, talking up for so long. I think we need to just be very mindful with our eyes wide open, mm -hmm. taking everything into consideration. I am not minimizing COVID-19. Um, I've called it an insidious beast. It is, you know, just raging through our nation like a California wildfire taking precious lives. Um, so I'm not minimizing it at all, and I'm not minimizing the struggle those who are contending with this is, is enduring right now. I am just saying to the American people, this is the first time we've locked up healthy people with, alongside with those who have some underlying issues who may be uh, more susceptible to this virus than, than others. And I think we need to take into consideration that it is our freedom that is at stake right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that perspective. We are speaking with Kathy Barnett. 
Her website, kathybarnett.com, and the book is called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America. Kathy, we've got five minutes before we have to take our first break, and I want to now go back to your story. If you can, I know you're probably really good at this. You do a lot of public speaking. You're a commentator on, on Fox News often, and uh, you do a lot of traveling, and you've, you've, you're really experienced with this. So go back to when you first found out how you found out that your mom was raped at 11 years old, and share with us that story in your testimony. You know, this is, um, although I have lived with this for uh, a little over four decades now, this is not an easy story for me to tell. I don't know mm. if I'm going to get it into five minutes okay. at all. Um, and I just um, actually started sharing this um, publicly last summer. I had no wow. intentions of ever sharing this aspect of my life and and a lot of, and a lot of and, you know and there, and because I'm in the public sphere you know there are some things that are very public about me and yet this was one I never intended to share um and God impressed it upon my heart one day uh here in the state of Pennsylvania uh we have a state representative Brian Sims who accosted uh, a mom and her daughter and her daughter's friend, young um, young girls who were standing outside of um, an abortion center here in downtown Philadelphia, and they were just standing there praying. And he noticed them, accosted them, took his phone out, did a Twitter, I think, social media rant about them in their face, asking, telling people he would pay money if if people would dox them and get their information to him. And because of that, live action, uh, Lila Rose mm -hmm. uh, came into Philadelphia. Hundreds of other people flooded that area. And um, I did not attend physically, but I watched it mm -hmm. um, on my computer. And as I did, um, a strong conviction fell upon my heart that if my story had the, the, the chance to save one person, why would I not tell it? And so that was the beginning of me unlayering many years <laughs> of this story and beginning to share it with others. Um, you know what? I would like to take an early break now because I don't, I don't want you to start on this story because I saw the YouTube video I think that Live Action put out, and it is powerful, Kathy. God bless you. I'm so looking forward to uh, letting our audience hear your uh, heartfelt story, and it's so powerful, and it's such a great testimony to the value of every human life. We'll be right back with Kathy Barnett on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're with Kathy Barnett, and we've got to mention, before we get back to her testimony in the book, um, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America. You know, her campaign, she's running for uh, Congress in Pennsylvania. Her campaign was doing very, very well before COVID-19 hit. And everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people raising funds have taken a little hit because of that. Just remember that uh, you can still support churches and people, particularly Christians and conservatives running for office. And we will connect her Facebook page and her website to today's Stand for the Truth podcast post. So, Kathy, want to get back to your story. And I'm so glad I didn't realize that you just started sharing this powerful testimony, but I know it impacts the lives of a lot of people. You may not even ever know how many people it will bless. So go ahead and tell us about your story. Yeah, you know, um, again, I, I think I said to you, I, I did, I just said to you during the break, uh, you know, uh, when God, when, when I felt this conviction, I sat on it for about two weeks, hoping it was indigestion, uh, <laughs> hoping that it would just pass. And it did not. Uh, and I felt a, a major compulsion. And as God would have it, the first time I shared it was um, in an article at Fox News. And then the second time I shared it, it was at the state, um, uh, the, uh, the state 
house in uh, Pennsylvania in front of um, Congress wow. there. And, um, and, I'm, and from there, I've you know, had the opportunity to share it in a couple of different places. And it is never an easy story for me to tell because it's my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and even in the Christian community, there are still two exceptions for the rule when it comes to abortion. We're staunchly against abortion with the exception of two things, and that's rape and incest. Right. And yet my life matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet where God, you know, um, when I read the Bible and I see passages like Psalms 139, where God says, I, you know, I formed you, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I take that literally. Mm. Absolutely. When he said that, you know, that he, um, that all with all the days of my life, <laughs> was laid before him, that he sees all of them. I take that literally Hmm. um, because I'm not a mistake from God's perspective, but that I was designed with purpose and that I have been called forth. He said, you know, before the foundation of the world, I saw you and I predestined you. And at the right time, I called you out of the world. I take that very personally. Mm. And I take it very literally that I beat some tremendous odds to make it here Mm. um, into the land of the living. (laughs) And, and, um, and again, I never intended to share this story, um, and yet God had different plans for my life. And, um, and it's a very powerful story. I understand that, because although someone may be pro-choice In um, and may be staunchly you know, an advocate for abortion, you cannot argue with my story. I am here. Mm-hmm. I am here. Um, and uh, and that would not have happened had I been born uh, to. I mean, had I been conceived today, the odds are I would have never made it out of my mother's womb today. Mm. Yes. For every one thousand black babies that are born, are that are born, four hundred and seventy-seven are murdered in their mother's womb. That's a thirty-two percent kill rate in the black community. Uh, and, you know, I had someone someone asked me one one time, uh, why don't we see a lot of black people? And I'm like, because we're aborting all of them. Mm. We're killing them. Yes. We've killed off whole generations of black people um, in the black community. Abortion has nothing to do with uh, a woman's choice. It is all about an annihilation of um of an entire generation of people, and that goes all the way back to Margaret Sanger and, um, and the things that she's talked about, as well as uh, what Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has also confirmed of late of her understanding of why abortion, why Roe v. Wade happened. And, it, and strangely enough, even uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, did not say anything about a woman's choice. It was about population control. And specifically, if you trace it back to Margaret Sanger, control of those populations they find undesirable. And, of course, I will fall into that bucket being um, a black person and then also being conceived in such a heinous way. Um, I do not try to glorify the manner in which I was conceived. Um, My mother was 11 years old. I have an 11-year-old daughter right now. And when she turned 11, I started in November of last year. I mean, I did not quite, I didn't fully understand why I was responding the way I did. And um, I know better today when I see my baby and I see just how fragile her little body is. I cannot imagine someone Mm. inflicting such pain on her. So I do not try to glorify the manner in which I was conceived. I simply try to tell the fact that I'm still here. And from me, I've given birth to two of the most beautiful and smart energetic and charismatic little kids. Uh, My son is 14 now and my daughter is 11. Um, And they're wonderful. Uh, They're going to be such a major bright spot in our culture when they, when, when, when it's their turn to inherit this nation, um, by the grace of God, our nation will be grateful for people like them. They know what truth is, and they have um, a boldness in them to stand up for that truth. I am married to a wonderful and godly man who loves me and loves his family. We've been able to carve out a life for ourselves. And none of that would have happened had my grandmother 
um, had looked at me and my mother's womb as this inconvenience, as this, you know, this despicable truth that had just happened. You know, aborting me would not have would not have um, corrected or resolved or healed the 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 pain that had been inflicted upon my mother. The right. wrong had already been inflicted upon my mother. Um, aborting me and killing me would not have eased that at all. No. The wrong had already been committed, had already been inflicted. And today my mother is now living with me. So now I get the oh, wonderful opportunity God. of paying it forward mm. and taking care of my mother. Um, you know, I'm providing support for her because there's a pathology that goes along with someone being violated at such a young age. So my mother, you know, life has not been a bed of roses for her. Um, and so I'm very grateful that w- whether w- whether I had lived or died, this pain would have been upon my mother. I'm very grateful that I lived, that they chose life for me, and now I get to take care of my mother. Oh, praise God. What, uh, Kathy, unfortunately, I know you've got another commitment. We've only got two minutes left with you. Uh, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I want to really talk about your book, and we're going to have to have you back to do that and talk about uh, why uh, liberal policies continue to fail the black community. The book is called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain. And I just want to wrap it up by saying thank you for sharing your story. We're going to put that video up on our website, and we're going to link it to this podcast post. But, Kathy, what can you say to people out there that might be struggling and needing hope right now, um, just for whatever circumstances they're going through in the midst of this lockdown for COVID-19? And I know we've only got like a minute. I know, right? And I'm going to keep it simple. None of this has taken God by surprise. These are your listeners, uh, faith-based people. um, And you need to know that none of this has taken God by surprise. I um, I have a board in my home, and I write little messages up there for my family. And yesterday I wrote, our future is not ahead of us. It is inside of us. We are walking forward in God's path. All of these things, has all, he's sovereign over everything. He said in Revelations, I am the who was, the who is, the who is to come. <laughs> yes. Everything that happens, happens within the confines of a loving God, of a sovereign God, of a God who has a plan. You and I, we're, we're just walking forward. But our future is not ahead of us. It was designed and weaved in us. And we are walking and and we're walking forward in God's path. And I just want to encourage people, uh, lean into God, lean into what you know to be true. Open up your Bible, spend some time with him, pray, talk to him. Uh, But none of this has taken him by surprise. God bless you, Kathy Barnett. I am going to get in touch with uh, Robert and uh, get you uh, booked again when we have more time to spend with you, because I really want you to dig into your book and explain uh, nothing to lose, everything to gain, being black and conservative in America. God bless you and your family. Tell your mother hello for us and give her a big hug for us. And uh, good success to your campaign out there in Pennsylvania as well. You will be in our prayers. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Blessing. God bless. Um, Kathy Barnett, we will definitely uh, get her rescheduled. There's so much more we didn't get to. She homeschools her kids, and uh, she's running a campaign, and she's doing all this, and she's a veteran, and so much to her story. But unfortunately, we just wanted to to get as much as we could this morning before we uh, had to take a break here. But um, let me continue now by going to a story that's very relevant to what we were just talking about. Star Parker uh, put out a story over, I think it was um, American Family Association, uh, One News Now. It's called Restrict Abortion During COVID-19. And uh, Star Parker says, here are a few examples of some headlines over the recent weeks. Republicans exploit coronavirus to restrict abortions. That comes from the L.A. Times. Uh, New York Times, the coronavirus becomes an excuse to restrict abortions. Another headline, Texas women forced to travel 20 miles farther for abortion under coronavirus ban. Now, as you know, five states, Texas, Ohio, Alabama, 
Iowa, and Mississippi. Kudos to them. Where are the rest of you? Um, they are trying to limit or prohibit non-essential medical procedures during the coronavirus health crisis, and um, they've included abortion among these non-essential procedures. Now, that means if five states, how many states are there? Are there 50 states? So that would mean 45 states apparently um, think that abortion is essential. They think abortion is medical, scientific, it's health care. Well, that's a massive lie. We have debunked that so many times on this podcast. I won't be tedious and do it again on this uh, today's show. But these measures have been taken with one objective in mind, saving lives. Um, To suggest otherwise is cynical. It's obscene. Um, and that yet, there's, I'll just give you three examples of media headlines. Now, Star Parker, if you don't know, she's a, a black African-American. She's an activist. She's pro-life. She's a Christian. And she's been very outspoken, similar to what Kathy Barnett was just sharing with us, about the history of Planned Parenthood and the abortion business in America. It, uh, Planned Parenthood is now an abortion corporation. Uh, they got going uh, early in the 1930s, I believe. The first clinic... Margaret Sanger, who was a racist, eugenicist, and she was into population control. She was an atheist, socialist, and she put the first clinic in the blackest inner cities part of New York City in Harlem. And today, now you say, oh, there's no connection with Margaret Sanger. Well, she was the founder. It was the American Birth Control League or something like that to begin with, but it's Planned Parenthood. Today... Approximately 78% of abortion clinics, guess where they're located? In minority neighborhoods. 78 to 79%. Um, We could go on down the list of facts and stats. I'm not going to preach to the choir here. Again, I don't want to be tedious on this. But this is something that we've got to continue to talk about because otherwise it's not going to change. A lot of you... Uh, might be on the side of, oh, this is uncomfortable to hear. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to talk with my friends about this. Well, fine then. Um, There is a cost to our silence. There are consequences when Christians take the path of least resistance. Yesterday, I want to pull up this story. Actually, a couple days ago, um, the Benham brother, one of the Benham brothers, I think it was David, was arrested outside an abortion clinic in North Carolina. He was peacefully protesting. He was trying to minister to women going in. I say women because there were the doors were open. They're very open to say, hey, we are open during this time. Yes, we're still open. They have banners up, Planned Parenthood's advertising. Hey, we're still open for care, um, care in quotes. So, and I guess there's a rule there, uh, that the governor put into place in North Carolina that the limit is 15 people, I think. Uh, most places it's 10, a gathering of 10. I think that's what I read, but don't quote me on that. Anyway, so there are more than 15 people inside this abortion business. And here David and some other people, David Benham and others, are out there on the sidewalk. They are, I think, 6 to 10 feet apart. So they were following social distancing guidelines, and he was arrested. You can get the videos. There's a lot of um, Breitbart, um, Family Research Council, the activist mommy. There are articles on this all over the place, but he was arrested. I don't know if more people were. I mean, actually, a couple days before that, more people were arrested. But the here's the thing. These are Christians ministering to people, wanting to save lives, and they were on public property. They were on a sidewalk. They were following social distancing guidelines for that particular state, in this case, North Carolina. Um, you can go and actually see the video, the Benham Brothers on Twitter. They've got a joint Twitter account, as uh, David Benham does too. But he was unlawfully arrested while supporting sidewalk counselors outside an abortion clinic. This is the state we're in now. This is a police state when it comes to this. These are our freedoms. And we are, not we, a lot of people are saying, 
oh, well, it's the virus. We're just trying to be, be safe and healthy and do what our government tells us to do. But when it comes to churches, there's a big debate now. Should we or shouldn't we be gathering? Or when are we looking at starting up again? Even if, for, for instance, in our state, in Wisconsin, um, Governor Evers probably wants to shut us down for, for much longer than some of us might say we need to be you know, shut down. Because there aren't that many cases here in northeast Wisconsin or in Wisconsin as a whole. Maybe there, I think Madison, Milwaukee, we are not that close there. But anyway, so the whole state, even if you're not New York City, even if you're not New Orleans, even if you're not that the, the city, I think it was Seattle where the nursing homes in Washington had all, all those tragic deaths. But here we are going, well, I don't know anyone that's infected. Do you? No, I don't know anyone. Do you know anyone that's died? No, I don't. I've got a lot of friends on my Facebook page. I don't know anyone. Uh, you know, they might have heard of someone or read about someone who has died. As, and again, every death is tragic. But Kathy Barnett, she was sharing the fact that she just checked the CDC, Center for Disease Control Numbers, this morning. And now they are, they are lowering and lowering and lowering the expected or the estimated number of deaths for coronavirus. And again, this might change. I'm not telling you to do something irresponsible. I'm trying to just get the conversation going even more to when we can, as a body of Christ, start ministering again, start worshiping together again. I'm not saying to, to go get arrested. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm, I'm like she was talking about this is a warning. She was talking about the fact that healthy people have never been quarantined in the United States of America. And here we are. So ha when do we take a step and say, you know what, let's call our senators, let's call our governor or, or, or email, or go to the website and say, when will we be able to have these, quote, guidelines or restrictions lifted? so that we can get out and get our businesses going, get our churches meeting, and other things again. Just want to put it out there. A um, couple articles, and it's so many more headlines we're going to get to when we come back. But uh, we've got so much more coming up. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. All right. I do want to get back to this article here before we go on to the next topic and uh, check out some headlines here. Again, this article is by Star Parker called Restrict Abortion During COVID-19. And she said, as of this writing, there were 1,000, um, I'm sorry, 123,000 uh, coronavirus cases in New York, and this was yesterday, yes, Wednesday, um, amount, amounting to 37% of all cases in the U.S. So New York's taken the bulk of the cases. As you know, New York City got hit the hardest. In Texas, 7,000 cases, okay? As of this writing, she says, 123,000 in New York 7,000 coronavirus cases, in, and Texas is a massive state, as you know. New York has 6,324 cases per million people. Texas has 243 per million people. These are cases where people have been tested and they tested positive. The fatality rate in New York among confirmed cases is 3.3 compared with a fatality rate in Texas of 1.8. So it should be clear that the Attorney General of New York or, or the governor or anyone else, Cuomo, whoever it might be, shouldn't be criticizing how those in Texas or any other state, Wisconsin, are dealing with this crisis given that there is no place more out of control than New York. Now, we're not going to try to you know, speculate on how New York got to the point it did. You know, people might say oh, it's the governor. People might say it's the federal government or whatever. Oh, it's Trump's fault. Yeah, if you're a Democrat, it's Trump's fault. But anyway, I do want to get now that I brought up politics, um, the news that Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race uh, yesterday. He's keeping his delegates, apparently. I don't know how exactly that works, <laughs> but he gained those delegates. I'm not sure. We'll find out when they get to their convention, I guess. But um so the self-described Democratic Socialist, he's just a Marxist, right? 
Um, he's the last Democrat to leave the race. Um, now, how much did they spend? You guys, I hope you're all sitting down. If you're driving, uh, please pull over. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> they have spent, the Democrats in the campaign this year and last year, have spent over $1 billion in their attempts to be the one that gets to challenge President Trump. Um, Mike Bloomberg alone spent $600 million on his failed campaign. Tom Steyer wasted, and I mean wasted because he had no chance, $252 million. Um, Bernie Sanders spent almost $161 million on his campaign, according to Open Secrets. <clears throat> Who else? Oh, Lord. Um, I know you're, what you're thinking, too. All of this money could be used to help businesses, to go to the poor, to help veterans, to go to children's hospitals, to do some powerful work helping people during this time. But Senator Kamala Harris spent over $38.6 million. Beto O'Rourke spent about $17.1 million on his failed attempt. Senator Cory Booker, the hypocritical, quote, Christian um, in New Jersey, wasted over $24 million. Amy Klobuchar, over $47 million. And former Mayor Pete Buttigieg wasted $89 million on his campaign. So this to say, America, we're, we're hurting for money, I, I don't know. But I, now I'm not saying, you know, let's, let's continue to put out stimulus plans to help. <laughs> continue to use, using the taxpayer money to help the taxpayers, right, to help small businesses or to help people. But we do have to do something, and I'm, I'm, we don't know what's going to happen until some of these businesses get back going. Maybe I've heard some very positive things, though, some good ideas out of uh, the Trump administration. They're, they're trying to do this payroll uh, tax plan and other things. They're trying to get workers that have been laid off to small businesses, rehire them. So they're helping the small business and they're trying to work it in a way that they will rehire these people. So give them enough money to rehire the people that they laid off and then we'll, the next package will do something else. So there are a lot of things in the works. So this is not only a health crisis, it is an economic uh, crisis, and uh, we do feel like it's on the upswing now. Well, the feel is probably not the right word. We're just looking at the stats that we have put out by all these agencies, the CDC. And I saw another article um, on the World Health Organization. We should, anyway, I hope they stop funding, they meaning our own government, uh, the United Nations and the World Health, Health Organization. They're pr practically one and the same. The World Health Organization that were wrong about so many things when this coronavirus uh, pandemic got started, abortion to them, now World Health Organization, WHO, WHO, abortion is an essential service during the coronavirus outbreak. You know exactly where they stand. Quote, services related to re reproductive health are considered to be part of essential services during the COVID-19 outbreak, outbreak, they said in a statement. Women's choices and rights to sexual and reproductive health should be respected, irrespective of whether or not she has a suspected or confirmed COVID-19 infection. So the World Health Organization, um, wow, we should do a, actually, we should really do a, a part of a podcast on that, on the United Nations, the WHO, and so many things that I didn't realize how much money. I think in the press conference yesterday at the White House, President Trump said about $450 million a year, I think he said, goes to the WHO, the World Health Organization, basically going to a branch of the United Nations. And I'm thinking, how does that help the American people? How does that help taxpaying citizens? I don't know. But there are some good things going on. I just want to mention um, NFL star Ben Watson. I love this guy. Um, he used to play for the Saints and uh, the Patriots. Uh, Christian groups, um, he's encouraging them to support churches at risk of closing, not just being temporarily empty on Sundays, but there are churches that are at risk of closing during uh, because of COVID-19. Um, a coalition of leading Christian groups announced a new initiative to help small churches throughout the U.S., that are at risk of closing due to the coronavirus pandemic, answering Jesus' call for 
the least of these. So launched a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, the Churches Helping Churches Challenge seeks to assist congregations in low-income communities in urban areas that have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 economic shutdown. And in an interview, um, Benjamin Watson, he's a national spokesman for the initiative, cited statistics, statistics from a recent Barna Group survey revealing that 6 to 9% of pastors are unsure or not confident that their church will survive the coronavirus pandemic, depending on how long it takes to open back up. And that's 6 to 9% of pastors that were surveyed. And Barna, you know, some, I believe they do some very good work, but there are some uh, surveys that they do that I just cannot fully say, and I cannot endorse the results as being accurate. I'm not, trying, I'm not saying they're not trying to do anything deceptive. They are not. So please don't misunderstand. But the accuracy, who they're polling, how they get a, a hold of these people and these pastors. So, so many other things. Another positive story. Oh, I, I've got to share another one here. Um, the Empire State Building was lit up with red flashing light to honor health care workers. Um, this was, I believe, Monday night. A display meant to honor the health care workers in the city dealing with the uh, crush of the coronavirus. So, um, and as you know, pray for those in New York. It remains the hardest hit state in the U.S. And boy, do they need the prayers, um, not only for the people that are affected by this, but they need prayers because of their government is just, you know, out of control. Um, between the mayor and the governor of New York, pray for them. But here's another story. So there are some good things. And I've, there's a, a nurse that I shared a picture of on my person or my author uh, Facebook page. Um, just amazing. Some of these healthcare workers, God bless them for continuing to go into work, knowing that they are going to be treating people that have the coronavirus. Um, great s- story here. She's got a mask um, on that says Jesus saves, and that's covering her mouth. And she's got a plastic shield on and a hairnet and goggles, but it looks like almost like a headband, but it's on the plastic shield. It says, Jesus loves you. So here's one registered nurse in a hospital that says, Jesus saves and Jesus loves you. Um, I'm hoping they're not going to get upset about that because you know some people will, um, even though more people are looking for answers and, then, and they need Jesus and they need to hear the truth about Jesus. There are those that say, hey, don't, don't bring that up. I want to go to a story that I did yesterday, uh, um, Tuesday, with Freedom Project Media. Um, There are some who don't want the help of Samaritan's Purse in New York City, the hardest hit place in the country with the most infections, the most deaths. Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse, um, they put up a 68-bed field hospital in Central Park staffed by 60 to 70 medical professionals to care for patients battling the coronavirus but there are people that don't want their help. This is amazing to me now, knowing the seriousness of this, con- this thing in New York right now. So they're in Central Park. They've got all these tents set up, and it's basically a hospital. LGBT groups, such as Accountable for Equality, have suggested that because Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization, their volunteers, doctors and nurses, will turn away gays and lesbians infected with the coronavirus. Quote, leaving them on their own to find care elsewhere. NBC News ran this headline. Group behind Central Park's COVID-19 field hospital run by anti-gay evangelist. I don't care what your religion, your profession, your politics, or your proclivities are. When I need a doctor or health care, I just want, like most of you, I would say 99% of you, we want the best care possible. I mean, um, I had an operation, a surgery three years ago. Two years? Three? Anyway, um, my doctor was Muslim. You know, I didn't ask him about the Quran. I wanted to have conversations with him. I said, hey, uh, you did a good job, doc. On my follow-up appointment, I said, hallelujah. <laughs> you kept me here. <laughs> so, and he got a good laugh about that. So when I came for a, another follow-up appointment, he says, hey, hallelujah. <laughs> it was funny. But whether you're Muslim, whether you're gay, you know, it, this is ridiculous that the lefties— in New York and these national groups are saying Franklin Graham is a hater. 
Um, this is amazing, but this is the new culture. This is the new environment toward Christians and Christianity. Why are they upset? Because Samaritan's Purse, who were there, by the way, volunteering, these doctors and nurses in New York City, they're upset because Samaritan's Purse is recruiting Christian volunteers who adhere to their statement of faith. What does that mean? They believe in natural marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman, as Franklin Graham, as Billy Graham organization, as Samaritan's Purse, as every church. Actually, actually, okay, let me rephrase that. As every biblical church in America believes the Bible is truth. These are our, that's our standard. This is our mission statement, right? So that's all they were doing is trying to get Christian volunteers to help. And the LGBT said, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to discriminate against us. There is zero evidence that any of Franklin Graham's ministries or himself or anyone ever discriminated against anyone anywhere in the world. So anyway, in New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio said, hey, we're going to look into this. And what did he do? He sent monitors over there to Central Park to make sure they weren't discriminating against any gays and lesbians that had the coronavirus. He said, quote, what was there going to be an approach that was truly consistent with the values and laws of New York City that everyone would be served and served equally? This is, guys, this is an insane conversation to have, but this is how some people think. So let's bring it home. <laughs> it's also Resurrection Week, so I want to end it on this note. We have a—it's in season and out of season, right? So it's not just this week, but all year long. We have an amazing hope in an eternal God that saved us if you trust in him. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for us, and all we need to do is believe. You can trust our God with your health, with your finances, with your life, and especially with eternal life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no better time than right now to put your faith in the creator of all things, the only living God. And I want to say happy Resurrection Week, happy Easter, and um, let's just remind people of the hope that is available because people are looking for answers. So uh, anyway, we've got another uh, really good guest tomorrow and a very important topic, and we'll tell you about that when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. I want to jump ahead to Monday. Uh, Israel Wayne, a brand new guest, he's got a book called Answers for Homeschooling. And Tuesday, Shay Hoodman of GotQuestions.org. But tomorrow, Dr. Andy Woods, we're going to be talking about how the coronavirus is setting the stage for the coming cashless society predicted in Revelation 13. Also, is how is God using COVID-19 or is he to judge the world for sin. Also, should Christians claim uh, Isaiah 26:20 or 2 Chronicles 7:14 during this crisis? And uh, so many other questions. We'll be talking about celebrating Resurrection Sunday while under self-quarantine during this really strange coronavirus time this season. Of course, it's uh, Easter week. So, what message of hope will Dr. Woods give you tomorrow? And I, I love his teachings, by the way. You look up his PPOV, Pastor's Point of View, on YouTube or on Facebook. Phenomenal teaching. So Dr. Andy Woods will be with us tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing the podcasts on social media. I see the ones that uh, really get going out there. So we appreciate you guys. Go to our Facebook page, Stand Up WI. And uh, God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.